I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. Celtics come back from a very tough first quarter, very tough second to turn it around and win. We're seeing a trend here. They're starting to really show some resiliency in tough moments. Before we get into that, the you guys who have been listening regularly and girls that have been listening regularly know that Brendan left the show a while back and I've kind of been running this solo while I've done my due diligence on co-host of, um, ideas and who would be available and where it could work. Um, I had a guy called Greg Manikis on last week. I think it was the last episode I released. Uh, I thought that went excellently. Uh, I hope you, like everybody listening, did too. And as Greg said, he was running a show himself called The Green with Envy Podcast. And after some discussions, some deliberations, um, I'm going to be co-host, well, Greg and his co-host, Will, from that show, will be rotating co-hosts with me uh, moving forward. So you'll have, like, um, Monday's episodes will have Will, who you'll meet in a moment, and then Thursday's episodes will have Greg. Is it No, sorry, Friday's episodes will have Greg. And then uh, Wednesdays will still be that live mailbag where the recordings work. So, guys, what's up, man? Thank you for joining me on the first episode of you guys being part of this moving forward. Yeah, man, super honored. Like I said in the last one, um, you know, I've listened to your pod for a while. So it was just really cool to get caught up to the big leagues. And then the fact that it went so well <laughs> that you were like, man, like I got to have you every single episode now made me feel really good. So um, and I'm excited that you uh, – Decided to bring Will on, too, because we're a team. You know, he's been my best friend since we were two years old. So we've been talking about the Celtics, uh, you know, since we were kids. Really happy to do it for Celtics Blog. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, Adam, like like Greg said, you know, just reiterating, it's uh, it's awesome to be doing this with you here. You know, we've been vibing with you on on Twitter. We've had you on our show. You know, we really enjoy the the dialogue that, that you know, all three of us have been able to have. And so to be able to put it into this format and – have an opportunity for us to just, you know, talk some Celtics hoops. Uh, you know, it's, it's a special, man. We're really excited to get this going. Man, the pleasure's all mine, man. Like, I'm proper hyped about this. I think the shows where it's the three of us are going to be great. I think the shows where it's two of us are going to be fantastic. Um, I'm really excited for what we're going to do moving forward. Everybody, the format's still going to be the same. You know, sometimes we'll record before a game because my time zone just doesn't allow me to record after a game. I'll be waking my wife up at 4 a.m. like trying to set up the microphone and the green screen. It's just not going to happen. So the format will be similar, but it's going to be great to have other voices with other ideas that we can bounce off. So let's jump into it, guys. Um, The word that's been sticking to me that's come from press conferences over the last week or so that the Celtics have kind of really displayed over the last three or so games is resiliency. And that's something that I tweeted about during this game, like, Two, three, four weeks ago, the Celtics would have been in garbage time by the beginning of the fourth quarter against the Nuggets. They went down. They had to make some changes. Shots weren't falling from deep. And they found a way, right? Like they got the pick and roll actions going. They were getting some nice finishes around the rim. And most importantly, they were putting pressure on that free throw line. What were you guys thinking when it was early in the game and it was just a struggle? Yeah, that, that's kind of the same line of thinking that I've been having, especially over the past month or so, because I've seen a lot of good things out of the Celtics offense and the way that they've been playing. Um, just a lot of good trends, a lot of good trends. And one thing that I saw earlier in the season was that it seemed like we would win the games when we would make shots. Like if we were hot from three, then we, we would be winning the game. And tonight it wasn't happening. 
You know, so I've been clamoring for the Celtics to win dirty and to win ugly because I think in the playoffs, you know, the three-point shot's not always going to be there. And for us to even get to the playoffs at this point, we have to start winning these games where, you know, from from the jump, it doesn't look like we have it. You know, the games where in the past maybe Marcus Smart was the one that, you know, took 25 shots to try and pull, <laughs> pull us out of the gutter. And today they just stuck with the team ball, man. They stuck with the team ball. Tatum was driving the ball right from the jump. Uh, the ball was – you know, jumping around the perimeter, people were driving, kicking a lot of paint touches. So, you know, early, early in the game, to answer your question, I was thinking that if we don't win this game, it's the same old, same old stuff that we've seen. And if we do pull it out or we make it close, then, you know, the trend that I've been seeing that the Celtics are on the up and up is is something real. And we, we all need to be taking that seriously. Yeah, early on in this game, it had that kind of a Sunday matinee feel that we've all kind of grown accustomed to for the Celtics, where it's an early start, whether it's on the West Coast or it's back on the East Coast. Either way, those starts, for the most part, have not really gone in in the Celtics' favor. And to start this game, I think Denver was on like a 16-5 run. They were zipping the ball around uh, around the perimeter. Jokic was, you know, five rebounds, five assists early on just kind of had had that feel to it. And, you know, something that I've seen even over this homestand where the Celtics went, you know, four and three, which, you know, maybe could have been better. But I think, like Greg said, there was a lot of positive signs to take away from it. You know, I think back to as recently as that Cavs and Kings back-to-back games that were, you know, right around just before the deadline. And, you know, those were games where they kind of had a similar feel today where the Celtics just didn't have it early on. But then to your point of that resiliency, of that's something that I think has been quite noticeable over the last three games when you look at the next, the, excuse me, the uh, uh, Knicks game being kind of a grinded out slugfest, really kind of ugly basketball where you got to dig your heels in and find a way to get that win. T-Wolves, you know, maybe underestimating them a little bit. You know, there's a couple different reasons. The You know, they got out and ran, put a little pressure on us, and then Tatum just finding a way to put the team on his back. And then today, like, like Greg said, you got to find a way to kind of win ugly. And this game flipped really quickly you know as we move ahead from the early start of the game to 31 to 8 in the fourth quarter which I don't know the last time a team scored under 10 points in a quarter but this game flipped dramatically and it's because they you know they were persistent with you know continuing to make improvements throughout that game and that's a big time difference from what this team had showed previously you know just a few weeks back I mean if you look at the Brad Stevens teams of old that have been successful in the NBA and in deep playoff runs they're generally the teams that claw for wins. They've never really been a team that have blown like blown every opponent out. It's always been go down and then fight your way back and claw for every possession and then finish strong down the fourth. That's how IT got king of the fourth. And it's just always been that style of basketball in your face, smash mouth. We're going to go home blooded and bruised, but we're going to make sure you know you played against us. And it feels like that's how the Celtics are starting to evolve now into that type of team. And that's more of a Brad Stevens coach team, a team that's going to fight for every possession. Um, They're going to defend each other. That Romeo, I tweeted this too, when Romeo got that foul from Jermichael Green that was blatantly a flagrant that never got called, if we're being quite fair and sincere. Grant Williams was angry. He, He was visibly jawing at Jermichael Green. He was pumped. And we haven't seen much of that, much of these guys coming to each other's defense. There's, there's always been this kind of, man, the Celtics are soft type of um, appearance to them. Easily bullied, don't really defend one another. So seeing this development in terms of fighting for every possession, not kind of shrinking within yourselves and letting the team just bully you, that's new. But at the same time, it's something that we grew so accustomed to that when it wasn't there anymore, it was so unnoticeable. And I think that's where a lot of the uh, 
fan kind of disharmony had come from in the beginning was it just felt like there was no fight within this team and that now that's back i think that, that this could be a really successful west coast road trip for sure and thinking back to i think it was the sixers game when we were on tnt yeah. and Dwayne wade made the comment that the celtics team doesn't have an identity and talking about brad stevens teams and brad stevens identity teams you know like when you think of a brad stevens squad and adam you and i talked about this in the last pod like he always has had that Al Horford type guy at the top of the key to facilitate the offense. Now we're seeing Robert Williams slide into that role. You know, we, we've always had guys that, that were tough, um, you know, gritty defenders. Romeo Langford's back and Romeo is doing it, man. Like your guy is playing great. He hasn't really brought it much on the offensive end, but defensively you see why there was so much hype about him because he, I mean, he's just everywhere on the court and he plays great man-to-man defense he's a great positional defender and he plays great in the passing lanes and not to mention he can he can board up when he wants to you know he's only six four but he he plays bigger than that i think and we're starting to see jason tatum you know i'm sure we're going to talk about his his 53 point outburst but he's starting to play like jason tatum again and if jason tatum is playing like that future mvp then the celtics the sky's the limit for them man the reason why you know, a lot of people were saying first round, maybe second round at best is because Tatum was playing like an all-star. He wasn't playing like a superstar. But now we're seeing Jason Tatum play like a superstar and everybody is starting to kind of fall into their roles because Tatum is the alpha dog on the squad. And, you know, when the alpha dog is, is playing like a puppy, you know, that's a problem. But right now he's playing like that apex predator. And that's exactly what you need from him if we want to see the Celtics with an identity. Yeah, speaking of, uh, you know, apex moves that we've seen Jason Tatum make over the last few games is, you know, when he when he starts to to actually drive the ball and over the last couple of games, there's been a couple of times we've seen him try and dunk on people. And that's just not something that we always see from Jason Tatum. We're especially over this season, been more accustomed to him, you know, being a little bit more finesse around the rim. But, you know, Mike Gorman had a comment earlier in the season talking about this team will take on the personality of their top two players. And that's Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. And, you know, with, you know, like Greg was like you mentioned, Jason Tatum kind of establishing himself in that in that pecking order. I think when you see like we over the last two games where Tatum has said, get on my back, you know, I'm not letting us lose this game. We're struggling with this game. You know, it's not going to be over until, you know, I have a say in it. In both of those games, he's got to the line more. He's been more aggressive driving. He's had multiple times where he's driven to the rim hard, gotten foul, where he's trying to dunk on people very similar to the Bam Adebayo play in the you know in the playoffs. And, and I think when he shows that type of aggression, the rest of the team picks up on that. And you could see the way they close that game out tonight. Jason Tatum with the steal underneath gets it to Robert Williams, slams it through. Marcus Smart throws a towel about 20 yards down the baseline. Then you see Jalen Brown coming in for the massive slam at the end. That energy builds up and feeds off it and it starts you know at the head of the snake with jason tatum and then with jalen brown as well but really jason tatum being that lead dog is, is where it starts from i mean how much stock do you put into things like kendrick perkins calling out jason tatum saying you need to be showing more but your body language looks like a guy that's underpaid and you're getting paid the big money and you need to start leading this team then tatum comes out and has that 53 point night how much like stuck do you put into hearing that from a veteran, a champ, a ring holder that done it in the same franchise as you? Do you think that influences guys to try and give more? Or do you think that that's kind of just, it's outside noise and nine times out of 10, they're just blocking that out? Yeah, I, I would love to jump in here because I think it sounds nicer that it, that it is something that, you know, Jason Tatum's like, man, Perk is right. Because I think Perk, what he's saying has a ton of merit to it. And he's a champion and, and you know, 
Perk has a lot of, you know, he's been around. Think about all the players that Perk's been with from the big three to LeBron to KD. Like he's seen greatness. He's been around greatness and knows what that looks like. So what he says has merit. Do I think, you know, and it felt like in Perk's tweet that you're referring to where he's taking a little bit of credit, like Tatum, listen to me. I think that's probably a bit much. And I, and I don't necessarily see that being the case. Doesn't mean he's wrong with what he said. So I don't think it necessarily, you know, because I don't think these are things that Tatum isn't aware of. So maybe there's other people within the Celtics organization. And who knows? Maybe Perk did have, you know, a one-on-one chat with Tatum. I don't know that not to be the case. Um, but I wouldn't say that that tweet necessarily had a direct effect. But Perk is right in what he's saying. And, you know, whether it's Tatum listening to Perk or somebody else, you know, he's clearly starting. looks like he's taking that advice. Yeah, if, if it's going to come from somebody in the media, it's it's going to be a former ex-player if it's going to have an, an impact, you know, and someone that's won a championship in Boston, like the Gary Tangways of the world, you know, with the stuff that that he tweeted. I mean, that, that's just hyperbole. To me, that's just a guy who's kind of, you know, um, kind of lost his name in the market trying to trying to be relevant again. And Perk, Perk's the man and he, he's going to keep it real. And that's something that Will and I in our text thread with some of our buddies um, we, we, we kind of go back and forth about Perk because I'm team Perk and I know you, he, he's on your pod. So there will be no uh, Perk slander on this pod. But <laughs> I think that, you know, it, it's important for ex-players to to be real. And when guys are playing great, you know, give them their flowers. And when they're not playing great, you got to call them out and challenge them. And I don't think Perk was disrespectful in the way that he, you know, he tweeted about Tatum. I think the back and forth that's going on right now between Perk and Drew Hanlon is probably a little much because, um, you know, Drew Hanlon, he, he's, he's been working with Tatum since he was a kid. So he deserves a whole bunch of credit. And I don't think Perk should be saying, oh, I played in the league. So, you know, you, you, you don't have anything to say in this moment. Let, let me say my thing because I'm a former player. But I, I think it's important for Perk, especially as a member of the Celtics broadcast to keep it real. And we can't sugarcoat it because we all know what Jason Tatum can be. And if everyone just tells Jason Tatum that he's great in his whole career, he's never actually going to be great because he's just going to assume the status quo is greatness. And we know that not to be the case. We see that he has a higher ceiling than he's currently playing with. Do you think like, so when I was watching that 53 point performance, um, a lot of it for me was, he wasn't forcing anything. Everything was in the flow. Everything was in rhythm. His frees were in rhythm. Getting downhill all came in rhythm. Obviously, there was guys setting him up with screens or bat screens or whatever X's and O's you want to draw up. But at the end, Tatum was very much fl- fluid in that performance. And then you come to a game like the one against Denver where there is no fluidity. There's no offense. For either side, for the majority of the game, it was just a very clunky performance. And he still finds a way to get to the line and dominate at the free throw line, following Brad Stevens saying, I don't think Brett, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are ever going to like really embrace getting to that free throw line as a way to win games. Do you think that Tatum's evolution is going to mean being able to dominate games like the one in Denver where there is no flow to it and you kind of have to allow him to put you on the back, but without going ISO? I do. And I think one of the things that's going to be important with Tatum, I think in both of the last two games, I'm pretty sure he's had multiple um, opportunities shooting three free throws, right? Because he's driving the ball to the basket. And if people are starting to get up into Tatum's airspace because they don't want him necessarily to, to blow by them, and they're a little bit worried about that, you know, Tatum with his jab step, one dribble, three pointers, 
um, he, he's going to get so many more opportunities. And Will actually has this theory. He calls it the 30-30 club. And I'm going to I'm gonna pass the mic over to Will so he can kind of break down why we think this 30-30 idea is what Jason Tatum is going to need to be to be that superstar. Yeah, I mean, this is where I think I, I probably disagree with Brad Stevens a little bit in the sense that I think, you know, Jason Tatum getting to the line is crucial in him elevating himself to that MVP level that I think we all see the talent is there for. And so as Greg mentioned, you know, last year, I believe it was sometime in the bubble, started talking about this dirty 30 theory of mine. It's when you see a lot of these superstar players and you walk away from that game before you check the box score, you know, you don't think whether it's James Harden, LeBron, whoever had all that great of a game. And then you look and all of a sudden they have, you know, 31 points and seven rebounds and whatever else assists. And it's because they got to the line 13 times. You know, so it's these games that the, you know, the star player of a certain team puts the team on his back and finds a way to make to, to make it work, to get that win. And so we call that kind of the dirty 30. And tonight, he, you know, he ended up with 28 points. That last foul call got overturned at the end or else that would have lined up very perfectly. And I would have very much appreciated that uh, for these recording efforts. But it's it's kind of what the what this win was that Greg alluded to at the beginning, finding a way to win. This is the full team version of that, a dirty 30 victory where you didn't have it all game, but you find a way to get it done. And that's what you see when you when you watch a lot of these superstar players, you know, that are constantly on TNT, ESPN. Sometimes you walk away like, oh, man, I felt like that was, a, you know, an off game for Kevin Durant. But then all of a sudden he's got 32 points, 10 rebounds and, you know, the Nets or whatever team he's up the Warriors before this, you know, have walked away with a victory. And so that's the level that I think Jason Tatum needs to get at. And with him, you know, finding ways to get to the free throw line more last two games, 24 total attempts. Most he's had over a two game span this, this year so far. He's had a couple stretches with 19 games, 19 free throw attempts in back to back games, but 24 by far and away the most. And so when you look at, Jason Tatum's evolution, it's going to involve him getting to the line. He's a scorer. He's a beautiful scorer, you know, but he's only one of three guys in the top 15 that are under five free throws a game. And so getting those easy buckets, it's what's going to elevate him. And, and that's really like, you know, where that dirty 30 comes into lifting your team to that next level when it's not all going perfectly. So one of the things I've been most vocal about when I'm talking about guys getting to the free throw line, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum specifically, is when you look at guys like James Harden, um, Trey Young, I know these are guards we're talking about, but it's a very similar maneuver. They master the veer step. They drive and then they veer step in front of their guys. So when they elevate, you've already got a guy on your hip and it's basically instant contact. Trey Young drives people absolutely insane with it. And we've seen Jalen Brown start to do it a little bit, like he'll veer and then stop before going up. But realistically, your veer step should be in your gather step. So you want to be fluid in motion and get that direct shot contest from the back to draw those fouls. And I think Jason Tatum, due to the size of his shoulders and his frame, if he was to add that veer step into his repertoire and kind of lean into that more than he leans into the Euro step, because the Euro step is designed to avoid contact rather than draw it, um, I think he would easily start seeing the line eight to ten times a game. And I think that that one little um, tweak to how he attacks in the lane would be the difference between him being a 24-point-a-night scorer and a 30-30 a scorer. So I, I really like that theory. I think it works great. And I do think adding that veer step in, him and Jalen Brown, I think Jalen Brown just needs to improve his free-throw scoring overall anyway. I think that's an area he's struggled this year. Um would be great and very beneficial to them actually repeatedly putting pressure on teams at the free throw line. I don't know if either of you guys would agree with that due to the fact that the guys that are really finding success with that veer step generally are guards, but I think Tatum's frame makes that a really 
I keep saying really makes that an exceptional, um, <laughs> exceptional addition to his offensive repertoire. Yeah, that's definitely an important thing to have in your bag. But I, one thing that I want to see more out of Tatum is when he gets the ball in that mid post area is that he doesn't settle and he hasn't been the last couple of games for the fadeaway, right? And the baseline fadeaway, turning over each shoulder. I think that's an effective shot to have. But when that is your tendency, you're, that's not going to lead to free throw attempts. One thing that I loved from him in the Minnesota game was the way that he attacked in the post, especially against McDaniels, who's one of those long defenders that could contest high on his fadeaway. And, you know, he, he has that one move where he has either the fade to the baseline or he can spin underneath the contact and draw contact and finish at the rim, the old MJ move that MJ and Kobe made so famous. And he actually got an and one on that against McDaniels the other night. And that's the move that I think even more than the veer step is going to be important for him. I think Tatum can get to the line in on the block and in the mid post even more than he can um, coming off high screen and roll or in ISO situations. So that's personally what I look for. And additionally with Tatum, I think what's going to make him a lot more of an efficient scorer is this new equal opportunity offense that the Celtics are running, which is what they've wanted to run over the years. And when you look at the trend of his catch and shoot threes, and the the number three the number of threes that he's taking on one dribble or zero dribbles it's gr- going up like crazy right now at the beginning of the year i think it was something like four percent of the first two months of his threes were catch and shoot threes and now it's something like uh i think around 20 and this the same idea in april he's shooting 38 percent of his three-point shots on either one dribble or zero dribbles and you compare that to early in the year I mean, that that number, I think it was at like 6 or 7%. So this new offense is also unlocking more driving lanes for Tatum. And I think, if Adam, I don't know if you want to go there, brother, but this is why so many people at the beginning of the year were just furious with the double big lineup because Jason Tatum needs space in order to be Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown needs space. Kemba Walker needs space. And that double big lineup was just clogging up so much. And I think that it was a, you know, it was, it was a valiant effort by Stevens to think like, all right, long-term, what is going to actually make this team successful? Well, we're probably going to have to go up against Embiid and Giannis. So we might have to run this double big lineup at some point. So I, I understood the theory and with Kemba being out, but now, now that we have Lob Williams starting at center, Tristan Thompson can go in there and just be big. And, you know, it's, it's unlocking things for this team. And with Rob as, as the fulcrum in that, Al Hor- in that Al Horford role, uh, I think you're only going to see Tatum continue to play at this level. And Celtics fans should start to expect a much more efficient Jason Tatum moving forward. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton to add on the on the Jason Tatum front. I mean, I think you guys covered just about all of it, but I think it's just continually adding to, you know, the skill set that he already has. We've talked about, you know, how beautiful his game looks because that's the thing with Jason Tatum is when he gets going and we've seen these hot streaks, it feels like his shots don't even touch the rim at most times when he when he has it going. And you could see that, obviously, in that 53-point, you know, explosion against the Timberwolves the other night. But when he adds in, you know, the veer step or he adds in these other moves from, from the post, and something I'd love to see personally, I guess this is the one thing I'll add on, it's just a little bit of a, you know, an update to his game where he can go and draw the defender out to him because he loves to use that, you know, the dirt, the one-legged fadeaway, or he loves to do the fadeaway from the post, but use that and, and kind of switch it up a little bit, have a little bit more variability. And I think that's something else that, you know, once he adds that in, 
will ultimately get back to our point that we're, we're making here is that he can increase those free throw attempts. And that's going to get him easier points. It's going to open up more for the offense. Continuing with Greg's point of adding more spacing, the more you have to think and accommodate for the multiple moves that Jason Tatum can provide, the more confusion and the more pressure it puts in the defense, and then overall creates more opportunities for the Celtics as a team. I mean, I'm not going to blame them too much. Like, um, if I had that much sauce and that much that deeper bag, then I am stunting on everybody. I'm pulling up Dirk one footed floaters too because you have to. Like, you, you develop the sauce. Like, you know, I want everybody to see what I got. But um, just on your point, Greg, I think that's a really good point you make about um, getting Tatum going from the low block. What I would like to add there is, I think that a simple cross screen, get some cross actions going, some like um cross screen for your four man and i can't remember what team i was watching recently i think it was chicago and they were running that like cross four actions and they were just feasting off the amount of space that came once once the four man turns that corner off that cross screen i think that's another way of getting tatum to the rack at least and then as defenses collapse they'll try and foul i kind of want to segue a little bit here we've been talking about tatum for a good 10 minutes he deserves it he's been fantastic the last few games uh shout out Jalen brown too if it wasn't for him the celtics don't really pull back in this denver game i feel like he at least needs a quick uh honorable mention but i had a i had a thought i had a hypothesis and my hypothesis is i'm hypothesizing see how i, I like to use the dual analogy um that one of boston's problems that could come to fruition is the fact that at the moment Rob Williams has struggled in the starting lineup against some of these more elite level bigs and I think it was you that was with me Greg where we said this is a possibility but Tristan Thompson's best basketball right now is coming off the bench if we look at the season as a whole like a large sample size Rob Williams best basketball has come off the bench what happens if Boston's two bigs are both best when playing off the bench because at the moment I'm kind of concerned it Maybe Tristan Thompson wins back this starting spot because of the, the grit that he's injecting. And maybe Brad starts to just rotate them as starters because we all know it's more about how you finish than how you start. But what happens if that just means they both start playing bad? Like, I'm just genuinely concerned about this. Like They've <laughs> both had their best stretches of basketball coming off the bench. And right now, I'm kind of like, we might need to start Grant Williams at the five and just live with it because then we'll get this huge burst of energy coming in of both of them. And it's I'm saying this as a bit of a joke at the same time, but it is something that I've genuinely been thinking about over the last like, yeah. day or two. I, I love the zig there, Adam. I feel like everyone was so upset about the two big lineup. How about the no big lineup? Just no bigs. We got two bigs coming off the bench. Everybody was so upset. We'll go the complete opposite way. But no, I think it is a really interesting point. And, and for me, I'm glad that that yeah. Brad left or so far is leaving Rob Williams because I think he needs to take some lumps. And I think it's been a hell of an education week. You know, when you look at playing Embiid, playing Towns, playing Jokic, that's a that's a tough lineup to go through over this last week or so. But I think it's important because I think he is going to be the starter going forward. And I think Tristan Thompson is a bit of a safety net. You know, because one of the things that I've talked about with Greg before is I'm not always as concerned about who starts unless you're putting yourself in a hole and you can't continually do that if you're if you're going to be a good team. But if you're not putting yourself in a hole, I'm more concerned with with who finishes the game. So I think for me, Rob Williams taking those lumps while starting, having Tristan Thompson as a safety net and knowing that, you know, if it's the right matchup like the Sixers like the, you know, the Knicks were kind of a grinded out game, which is probably a little bit more of a, of a Tristan Thompson type game. Those are games that you can then, you know, even if Tristan's not starting, you can play him more minutes. You can close with Tristan Thompson in the right situations. So 
you know, I, I wouldn't worry too much about it right now. I do think it's funny that you are totally right. They both have played better coming off the bench this year. Uh, but I'm, I hope that Stevens continues to let Rob take a, a, you know, some bumps. We know he loves the veterans, but I do think this is the right time for for Rob to take those lumps and then plug in the safety net and Tristan Thompson when it applies. And Adam, I, I have to ask, were you being facetious when you said that maybe Grant Williams should start at the five? Because Grant's actually been playing pretty good the last couple of games, man. Tell me about that. I mean, I see Grant as the as a small ball five. I don't see him as a wing at all. Uh, I was being a little bit facetious, just you know, just to kind of drive that point home. Like sometimes I like to just joke, um, but no, I genuinely do think that both have had um, their best performances coming off the bench. I think Grant Williams played amazing against Denver. I think he was actually one of the unsung defensive anchors in in that performance. Uh, what I do want to say is, like, if you look at like the way. Denver run their offense through Jokic in that delay formation when Jokic was top of the perimeter. I think that this is a huge learning opportunity for Rob Williams to go back and watch film and look how Jokic has orchestrated a few easy easy buckets for guys coming off back cuts, coming off baselines, and just the way that Jokic basically looks like he's not doing anything at all and then hits these ridiculous dimes. And I think that Rob Williams' passing ability is at a level where he should be able to take some of that and translate it into his own performances. So no, I, I was being facetious yet, yeah, but at the same time, I do think Rob Williams has a huge learning opportunity by going back and watching how Jokic kind of schooled him as a playmaker in this game. Definitely. The, 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 I mean, the big difference between Jokic and, and Rob right now is that Jokic is one of the best shooting big men as well as to being the best passing big of all time. Right. So the the angles that Jokic is able to see oftentimes are a result of the threat of him shooting, right? So yeah. it, it, I think it is important for him to go back and watch the tape because you should obviously study in the tape of, of the greats, but I'm not sure how many of those passing angles are actually going to be available for him. Um, what I would like to see more is, you know, Rob just going back and watching the tape of how Al used to run run the offense and just to, just to go watch Al Horford tape. I think Jokic tape, yeah, that's that's definitely good to watch. But, you know, is Jalen Brown just going to be sitting there studying uh, Michael Jordan tape all day? Or should he be watching someone that's like, you know, maybe Kobe, a, a level down from that, you know? So I, I think that with Grant especially, segueing back to Grant, I actually wouldn't mind seeing him in the starting five. I was really high on Grant uh, in the bubble last year. I thought it was one of the biggest mistakes that Brad took him out in that game against the Heat because I thought he was the one guy that had a chance of guarding Bam Adebayo. I think against certain teams, you probably can't play Grant at the five. You know, against Joel Embiid, you probably can't do it. But he did a really good job against Jokic today. Frustrated the heck out of him. And Grant, he's improved as a three-point shooter. He's come a long way from that kid who missed his first, whatever it was, like 27 threes. Um, so I, I wouldn't mind seeing that, although I think that would have to be matchup specific because Rob Williams right now, in my opinion, he's got to be the starting center moving forward. Tristan's played well off the bench. I know you and I were uh, kind of going at him a little bit on our last pod together, Adam. But Tr- Tristan's, been, Tristan's been great. We don't win the last three games without him. So whether that's because he's playing really well or he's just not Luke Cornett, I don't know. But <laughs> I think it's important to see Tristan Thompson getting good minutes for the Celtics. I just want to pop back in and say, like, um, if you remember the preseason, they were running Grant at that starting five position a little bit. And they were using him in a very Al Horford-esque role. They were getting him to do dribble handoffs, uh, fake DHOs, and then slip. And he had some really good games during the preseason. 
we get to the regular season and the two big lineup gets implemented and Grant's spending far more time at the four. And that's where I think his physical downsides are exposed a little bit, his lack of lateral quickness, a bit slow on his feet. So I think that his poor performances at the four really dropped his stock and he's had to re-earn that trust from Brad and kind of wait for Brad to clear up a bit of the logjam and figure out how he fits in. But I, I agree, I think he played exceptionally well, but I just don't see him as a starting level player, specifically because I don't know what many advantages of starting with a small ball five rather than going small when the flow of the game's already happening and you can see what the the additional change is going to actually do to that flow. Yeah, I think Grant Williams is such an interesting player for the Celtics because I think you can see the versatility in spurts. But then I, th- I think you're right, Adam, That, and I'm curious to know if this is what you think has led to some of the inconsistency for Grant Williams is, is a little bit of a misuse by Brad Stevens throughout the year or maybe just not a consistent use because I feel like Grant Williams has been a little bit all over the place when it comes to the rotations. And that's been something, you know, throughout the season that I think Stevens has to a degree gotten some, some rightful criticism on. He's also, you know, working with the players that he's had. And so I think that plays a role as well, but with Grant, I think it has been kind of hard to pinpoint exactly the best moment to use him. I think he is kind of that interesting player that, for the right team, he's an absolute nightmare to throw out there in a positive way for the Celtics. But on the other side, there's going to be moments where you put him in there and you're trying to make him a wing when he's not a wing and he's getting torched. And that's when you see the downsides. But like Greg said, you know, one of the things that I've been super impressed about with Grant Williams is that corner three-point shot of his is, is something I feel very confident when we get that as a shot. Whereas I don't necessarily all that always feel that way with like a semi-ogele or a few of the other you know op- options that we may have. Grant in the corner, maybe not from other spots in three, but from the corner, I feel very content with that shot. I feel happy with that look when the Celtics get that as an opportunity. But, you know, you're you're you talking about the misuse or how Grant has been used, I think is an interesting thing to look at when we examine where and when to play Grant. Because like Greg said, we were big in the Miami series that he's, I, I hesitate to call him a Bam Adebayo stopper, but maybe like a very light, you know, low rent version of that. Just someone that can kind of give him some trouble. Because like Greg said, he's, he's played well in certain instances. I just think it's hard to pinpoint right now when those instances are, because it's not going to be there all the time that he's the right person to be to be in the game yeah i think that's what happens with a tweener though right like that's what i've always kind of looked at like if you're a tweener then you're gonna unless your iq is off the charts and you can play make defend and score like Dray, like pete draymond could um you're really gonna have be a situational guy you're going to be put in when the you need to go small with grant i feel like you go with grant at the um four alongside someone like tristian thompson because now you've got this real physical presence down low that can battle and both guys are quite high iq defensively and then as you say you've still got the floor spacing by having grant as a four because he can sprint up and operate in the corner or he can lift to the slot um i'd like to see him figure out a bit more of a a three-point shot from that slot area uh, or and then working around to the perimeter because then you can operate him in ghost screens off the fake dhos and you can just really start to diversify the offensive looks with grant on the floor to create driving lanes for others but yeah i do agree i think it with a tweener it's always going to be situational and that's one of the main reasons why i wouldn't ever expect him to become a consistent starter for a team that had championship aspirations yeah and and you mentioned Draymond right I think guys like Draymond are almost the worst thing that could have happened to a Grant Williams is because now when Grant Williams comes into the league 
he's getting in. I mean, the, the Yabaselli, same thing. You know, when he when he comes into the league and people are like, oh, he might be the next Draymond. It's like Draymond is is pretty rare. He's he's not like the unicorn in terms of being like seven three with handles, but he's one of those small guys that can play small ball five. That's one of the best defenders of all time. Maybe not the best Draymond, and he's he's also a great facilitator. And that's something that Grant has aspects of, right? You know, he you can see that he is a facsimile of Draymond Green, but he's not the real thing. And when when you have Celtics fans in year one saying, oh, he might be our version of Draymond Green, now you're just putting, you know, the expectations way too high for a guy that's a role player and he can be a star in his role, as Brad likes to say, and that's okay. I think a lot of people forget that the Celtics have a lot of young guys, you know, be, because the roster construction is is, is so heavily, um, you know, laden with with youthful talent. We think that these guys are supposed to be finished products right now. And Jalen Brown, you know, year five or whatever he's in is just starting to become a finished product. If you expect Grant to be our Draymond Green in year two, that's just not realistic. But that's not to say that, you know, as y'all were saying, situationally, Grant Williams can definitely help this team. It's just we can't rely on Grant. And if we start relying on Grant, that's when we're in trouble. I don't know if you guys read it. It was probably about four months ago at this point. And I'm, I forget the author's name. Um, but there was an incredible article up on Yahoo Sports that basically looked on the Draymond Green effects and how Draymond um, opened the door to a generation of tweeners and how the expectations are always based on what Draymond's level of plays. Um, if you haven't read it, let me know. I'll try and find it. If anybody else wants it that's listening, DM me as usual, shoot me an email and I'll dig it out for you and send it. But it really fits in with exactly what we're saying here. Like You come into the league as a tweener that's got some size, can score from free, can defend, and you know you, everybody can learn to play make at a just below average level if you're not a naturally gifted playmaker. So everyone's like, oh, well, this guy could be a, a Draymond Blight or a Draymond Desk. And it, it does put really unfair kind of, expectations on a young guy but we do this with every type of player too you bring in Aaron Neesmith he's a young JJ Reddick type player he's going to give you exactly what JJ Reddick does no he's not he's going to give you what Aaron Neesmith does which is 0.1 minutes a night and one shot every four times he's on the floor that's what he's going to give you for now um you know and then you you build from there I just I think the expectations on young guys coming into the league are a a little bit unrealistic, and then the heat that they catch when they don't pop straight away is a little bit unfair. I was huge, so high on Carson Edwards when he came into this team. Um, genuinely didn't care that he was undersized, didn't care. All I cared about was the fact that he could score from deep. He had these enormous fives, which meant he was just going to have straight durability when popping off these screens all day. And it just hasn't worked out. But a lot of people felt the same way as me, a young Eddie House coming into the league. And they gave him that label, a young Eddie House. And I think that has mm-hmm. a lot to do with guys that make it and guys that don't, is how well they can kind of tune out that hype and work through and worm their way through their development until they're actually something resembling what their hype was hoping they'd be. And I think Grant kind of probably struggled with that to start the year, to be honest. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it shows you how how much of a crapshoot the NBA draft is, you know, and how cyclical it is for, oh, this worked for this one team. Now let's spend the next five years trying to replicate that and find our version of something that just worked for a successful team. And that's kind of what I think Boris Diaw led to Draymond Green, who then, you know, was a second round pick, then led to Grant Williams now being, you know, the 24th pick, I believe he was, or 22nd pick in the first round. And so each team is trying to find a way to replicate that success. You know, I think it gets used a little bit more in the NFL. It's a copycat league, but I think that applies to almost any sports that you see if you see success how can we then take and find our version of of what's being successful in the league right now uh and that's what you see and, and with Carson Edwards it's funny I was I was I think Greg was as well we were both big Carson Edwards fans um and a lot of that had to do with you know we just finished March Madness and he had a massive March Madness where you know he was dropping 40 points in a game. I think he averaged like over 30 points for the tournament kind of had almost, you know, not saying he's Steph Curry, but for the NCAA tournament comparison had a Steph Curry like run through the tournament where it's like, Oh, that's totally the guy I could see, you know, being a hypercharged version of Eddie house, probably even a, a guy with a little bit more handle off the dribble than, than Eddie house who can create a little bit more. And, you know, obviously that hasn't been the case. And so it's just funny how everything, you know, we always try and replicate it. And I'm sure, you know, we can look a couple of years down the line, we're going to be saying everyone's trying to find X player that represents somebody else on the next team. That's going to be successful. And, you know, every player, like you said, is a little bit different. Even if you can find, you know, a point of similarity, there's going to be a difference within that player. So, yeah, I think there's absolutely potential that Grant's kind of a, a victim of the success of other tweeners, although it certainly has gotten probably a lot more tweeners drafted higher than they would have gone in years past. I think that we could end up going down a real deep rabbit hole right now, so I want to save that for the next time the three of us are run and we'll make it a full episode. Uh, I think that we've kind of touched on everything. We touched on Tatum's um, big game where he scored 53. We've touched on the team's performance against Denver. Uh, we touched on Tristan Thompson, Rob Williams, Grant. We made some jokes. It's been fun. Um, is there anything you guys want to kind of touch on before we say sayonara? Um, no, nah, man, I got nothing. Can't... Uh, yeah, let everyone know where they can find you, dude. Yeah, so you, you can find me um, on Instagram at Manekis Music, M-A-N-E-I-K-I-S underscore music. Also, Will and I are hosts of the 617 pod. Uh, the Green with Envy chapter of the 617 pod for the Crowworthy Network with Boston Diehards. And um, Will, what else can we plug here? We got the floor. I think that's about it, man. I mean, you can find us on uh, on Twitter and Instagram. It's the same handle, at Green Envy Pod. Real simple. We made sure that we made it as easy to find us as possible. Um, but, you know, you'll be hearing us on here with Adam, and we're excited, man. We're, uh, we're pumped to get this going and, and see where we can take it from here. Okay, guys and girls, if you liked what you listened to today, please leave that five-star written review. Uh, nice things only. If you don't want to say nice things, that's okay. Just don't leave the review and then just recommend me to other people anyway. This English guy's bought on two new people. They're going to be running the show. We think it's amazing. Even if you don't, just lie. Um, word of mouth really helps grow, and it helps a bunch in terms of where the show ranks on Apple um, Recommended and so forth and so forth. So if you have enjoyed it, please do us a solid and leave that five-star and I will catch you on Wednesday with the live mailbag episode, which should be fun. If you want to come, then it will be today. By the time you're listening to this at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Locker Room app. And just follow me at Adam Taylor NBA on there. Uh, we had Taco Fall on the other day. That was dope. Um, you know, there's a bunch of NBA players that stop by from time to time. And then you'll catch it will be me and Will 
on Friday. So then you can hear from Will and myself then, depending on how well the week's gone. We'll either be happy or we won't be happy. Everybody stay safe (laughs) and have a good one. Okay, so that's done. 